This podcast is brought to you by the Maryland State Library Agency. The MSLA podcast features presenters from statewide youth programs, as well as learning opportunities for library staff and resources for patrons of the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled. Hi everyone, my name is Ashley. I'm the Marketing and Outreach Librarian for the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, and I'm so excited um, that you're with us tonight. We have a special guest in celebration of National Novel Writing Month. National Novel Writing Month started as a 5013C program that helped libraries and bookstores and a whole bunch of other places across the country encourage novel writing through programs and events. And tonight we have both John Owen, director of the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, and John Dudakis from Wolf Blitzer's The Situation Room and an award-winning novelist himself. So let me just read his bio for you. Award-winning novelist, writing coach, and manuscript editor John Dudakis is a former editor on CNN's Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer. He's the author of five mystery suspense thriller novels and is and in his most recent novel, Fake, protagonist Lark Chadwick is a White House correspondent defending against fake news in the era of Me Too. A former White House correspondent, he regularly leads writing workshops at literary centers and writers' conferences. He is also the host of the video podcast One-on-One with John Dudakis on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Originally from Wisconsin, he now lives with his wife, Cindy, in Baltimore, Maryland. So yay, shout out to Baltimore. And in his spare time, he is a jazz and rock and roll drummer, which means he's get along great with my partner, who's a jazz saxophonist. So, Oh, my. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we have John Owen, who is the director of the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled. He is going to be facilitating tonight. And while I don't have his bio right in front of me, I can tell you he is a great guy and he is really good at facilitating. Um, He holds a lot of really good esteem there. So without further ado, gentlemen, I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for that introduction. And John, uh, we're glad to have you tonight to, uh, to do this seminar on Novel Writing 101. Just a couple of housekeeping things. John has said that there will be a few uh, interactive moments throughout the evening. So um, be prepared to uh, just unmute. And at that time, if you have questions or want to make comments, uh, there apparently will also be a writing exercise at some point in here. So uh, just have uh, whatever medium you use to jot down your thoughts, just be ready for that. If you uh, have any questions or any comments as you're rolling along, you can always put them in the chat. I'll be watching the chat while. John does most of the talking, which is as it should be. Um, so uh, right now, uh, without further ado, I'll turn it over to John Dacus to begin this evening's festivities. Great. Thanks, John. And thanks, Ashley. It's uh, it's great to be with you all. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the novel writing process from 30,000 feet so that you get a, a, a better understanding of all of the moving parts that are involved in writing a novel. Um, because a, a lot of times in my experience as a manuscript editor and as a, a writing coach, a lot of times people will, you know, they'll wake up from a dream or they're in the shower 
and they get this idea for a novel and it just it's as if it fell right whole into their lap and they have all this enthusiasm and they start to write hot and they're just going a mile a minute and about 50 pages in they hit the wall because they realize that they haven't thought things through all together and they are just overwhelmed with all of the things that they hadn't anticipated and uh and they end up becoming discouraged feeling that they have no business writing a novel and they give up and put it away thinking that they don't know what they're doing and and really what's happened is that they just haven't thought things through thoroughly enough and so what we're going to look at is all of the moving parts from getting an idea all the way through to the idea of actually marketing your work and letting other people know about it finding an agent getting published all those things. We're not going to necessarily go into depth in all of those things, but I'm at least going to try to do my best to let you know all of the things that are involved. And uh, and as John mentioned, this is a two-way street. And so I'm going to pause at regular intervals as we go to give you a chance to ask questions. And there's really no such thing as a stupid question, because chances are, if you are wrestling with the novel writing process, then it's entirely possible that whatever question that you have, someone else has as well. And I should say, by way of introduction, um, it took me, the, the first novel that I wrote, uh, it took 10 years for me to get the agent that I've got. The agent that I have is the 39th agent that I queried. And the novel went through 14 major revisions uh, before it was really ready to be published. So I tell my writing students, if you take good notes, I'll save you nine years in the process because I made a lot of mistakes, but I learned from those mistakes. And so uh, what I've done is I've taken a lot of what I've learned about the process and, and made it into this class. So, um, so that's, that's in it in a nutshell. Any questions so far? This gives me a chance to get a drink of water too and wet my whistle. If you have any questions, you can uh, unmute. Or if you're on the phone, you can hit star six. Um, I'm going to move on and, uh, and, and there'll be plenty of time to ask questions. Um, I'm going to list things, you know, one, two, three, four, and so on. But I don't want to give you the impression that it's a rigid step-by-step uh, approach to writing it's right creativity is messy but we live in a linear world and so even though the very first item on my list is find a topic that might not actually be the very first thing because uh what i'm going to suggest is that uh, you do writing exercises as a way of getting to know your characters and being able to better identify what your story is and so uh, finding a topic might not be uh, the very first thing, but we have to start somewhere. And so that's that's the very first, first thing. And, and probably the best thing to do when you're writing a novel is write what you know, uh, write what's what's familiar to you. Um, in, and so you're drawing from personal experience. It, it, novel writing is very much like life in in, in our lives. Things, my guess is that things in your life did not turn out the way you expect. Uh, it's true for me. I think it's true for most people. In real life, often it's a crisis. Uh, 
In journalism, which is my background, we call it a story. And in fiction, we call it a plot twist. And we all have our own personal plot twists. And so these are instructive for being able to identify those things that are compelling enough that might prompt a story that you'll be able to uh, to build a book around. Um, so finding a topic is is important. Probably, and I, I didn't, I don't have this listed on my sheet, but probably the very first thing in novel writing is procrastination. It's a thing, and there's no shame in approaching your writing. Uh, and 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 hitting the wall right away and going, well, I'm not ready to do that yet. I think I'll rearrange my sock drawer or, you know, any number of things that we do to avoid writing. But the interesting thing is, if you've got an idea that is you're wrestling with, even if you're not writing, if you're ruminating, that's writing. If you're thinking about a story, that is also part of the process. So procrastination there's no shame in that and that is uh part of the writing process any questions about that about procrastination getting started anything like that okay usually people start asking questions as we get farther along so that's okay um the next thing to think about when you're thinking about writing a novel is to identify what your genre is Genre is basically the type of story. And in fiction, there are any number of, of story types. There's mystery, there's romance, there's sci-fi, uh, there's fantasy, there's historical novels, uh, any number of them, thrillers. Uh, and sometimes you can mix and match. You can have a mystery that has a strong romantic through line. So uh, the reason it's important to know what your genre is, is because uh, people like to read different types of stories. And so if you can identify what your story is, then that helps a reader know what to expect. And it also helps an, uh, an agent know what to expect, uh, because everything I'm, I'm going to be talking about tonight presumes that you're going to try to find an agent and get published traditionally. That doesn't mean that there's no that, that you can't try the self-published route because nowadays, because publishing has evolved so much over the years, it is entirely possible you could upload your novel onto Amazon tonight. You know, it is it is entirely possible now to get published no matter what. But my argument is that if you go the traditional getting an agent route, that will bring your writing to a professional level because it's much harder to get up an agent. Uh, and, it, and it means that your writing has to be much, much, much better than the stuff that can just easily be published uh, online uh, self in, in a self-published way. Uh, because there's much more critical oversight, editorial oversight that's involved with that. So I am presuming that you're going to try to get an agent. And that's why it's important to know what your genre is, because the very first paragraph in your query letter to a prospective agent will be something along the lines of, I've written a 75,000 word mystery suspense novel about a young woman 
trying to figure out what to do with her life. That's my very first novel, Fast Track. And so writing a query letter is a way of enticing an agent to become interested in your writing. So uh, uh, knowing what your genre is, is very important. And, uh, and, and one other thing I'll say about genre is, uh, is, is thinking in terms of universal themes. That means that, you know, things that anybody can relate to. A universal theme would be friendship, love, betrayal, uh, uh, grief, you know, things that, can, that people can relate to. And chances are, whatever your story is, probably fits into a universal theme. And so you may not know even at the very beginning what you're writing. In the, in the case of Fast Track, my first novel, um, I didn't even know what genre was. I just wanted to get published. And so I wrote a novel and, uh, and it kept getting rejected. But one rejection was helpful because the guy said, it's not a mystery. It's not literary. It's, you know, I don't know what it is. Therefore, I don't know how to sell it. And so I went to a group that met in my neighborhood where I lived in Atlanta at the time. And um, I write as a woman. That's a whole, that's another class entirely. But um, the, the, there were 25 women who agreed to read the manuscript. And then they let me sit in on their critique. And as I listened to them take, take apart and criticize my story, I realized that I had three subplots that I didn't need. And once I took those out, my manuscript went from a 150,000 word mishmash to a 75,000 word mystery suspense novel. I didn't even know what my genre was until probably the 10th draft. So, but it is important to know what your genre is so that you'll better be able to identify agents who are going to be interested in representing that novel. And so genre is important because it's a story type. There are certain requirements when you write a mystery or a romance or, or anything like that. So questions about genre. Yes. Hi. Um, yes, yeah. go ahead. So if you're writing an autobiography, how does that affect your genre? Because in an autobiography, you have many different types of topics being covered. And how does the novel writing process differ for an autobiography versus, you know, something based on a specific topic? Excellent question. Um, autobiography is nonfiction, but you will still want to use the novel writing format uh, and structure. And we're going to talk about that going forward but uh the similarity then is 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 the structure the way you tell the story the pacing of it the way to engage a reader i'll say a couple of quick things about autobiography which is similar to memoir memoir is also nonfiction, and it's usually you know a personal uh, uh story autobiography is usually much more uh, all-encompassing it's your entire life uh, and chances are, you know, you know, ex-presidents usually do that or movie stars or TV stars, things like that. Um, memoir is more thematic. And so uh, uh, it's still about your personal life, but you're going to zero in on something about your personal life that you will be able to amplify and to go into more detail on and not necessarily go into all the details of your life. 
Um, so that's the difference. And, and I'll say one more thing about autobiography and memoir. And that is that, you know, especially if there are things that have happened to you in your life that, um, that involve abuse or pain, or there's some sort of, there's some person in your life who, for lack of a better word, is either villainous or evil or something like that. It's much more difficult to tell that story without getting sued. And so if you want to tell it as nonfiction, you'll want to camouflage some of those details so that you don't get sued. And so you want to change names, change genders, change uh, uh, career, you know, what their career is, uh, what their, or their, 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 uh, uh, where they live. You're want to, you're going to want to camouflage the details so that you're not going to, you know, write a revenge novel or, or I'm sorry, not a novel, but you don't want to write a revenge story that will end up basically blowing up in your face and, and, and all of that. Um, so often what I suggest is that if a person has a, a personal story that they want to tell um, and they want to be able to, to, to go into more detail, I suggest fictionalizing it because you'll be able to, you'll have more liberty to, you know, go into detail. You're not, you're not as wedded to the facts. So you can tell a capital T truth by, by changing the small T truth factual details. So that's another thing to bear in mind. That's a long answer for a really good question. I don't know if I answered it, Tiffany. Did I? Do you have a follow-up? Yes, you definitely answered it um, because I was going to ask you how that works for copyright in cases where you're not necessarily getting revenge, but you want to tell part of you know your story. So that definitely answered that. Good. Thank and you. I would say that if you do want to tell the story factually, then, and, but you're going to change some details, you should be upfront with your reader. You know, there are certain things that I'm changing, names, locales, things like that, to, uh, you know, protect the privacy of people, but I still want to be able to tell the actual truth of what happened. So that's, there's a way around that. Okay, any other quick questions? Um, I wanted to ask you a question, if I might. Sure, go ahead. Okay, some people say that to to be a good writer, you have to be a reader. Do you hold to that, sure, or do you I, think that's a wives' tale? I no, I think it. I think it's definitely true because, but um, as you read other people's writing, it helps you to be able to discern what to you is good writing and what's not good. And more often than not, uh, being a being a being uh, uh, being a reader. Uh, will expose you to the way other people express themselves, and so um, you know that's 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 always a, a a wise way of approaching it because you'll be able to dis decide whether you want to write that way uh, or not. You know, some people you know really will cap capture your imagination, and you go, "Oh man, I wish I could write like that." Uh, there'll be other people who write, and you go, "Oh geez, that's terrible. It's so boring," and so. The more you read, the better you'll be able to hone your own craft. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Judy, I see you've unmuted. Did you have a question? I did have a question. Go okay, go ahead, Judy. Um, you mentioned in your book you had plot, subplots that you had to take out, right. and it shortened your novel. 
But it seems I have read authors who have a lot of subplots, but then they tie them together. Sometimes it can be a little difficult to follow because there are so many subplots, but in the end, they tie them together. What are your thoughts on that? Well, and I don't I, want to start naming authors, but sure. Well, I think that I think it's good to have subplots. You want to be able to manage them. And what I was doing was I th- I was throwing a lot more subjects in there that really, in my in the opinion of the people who were reading it, uh, they weren't fleshed out enough, and they were and they were sort of rabbit holes, and uh, and they didn't necessarily come together the way they okay. Could. So I think I think that your instinct is right. It's good to bring those things together, um, but you want to be able to do it in a way that's manageable and and doesn't confuse the reader either. So you definitely want subplots. You just don't want so many that it gets confusing. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, uh, moving on to uh, uh, number three, which is getting to know your main characters. And you'll you'll probably be spending a lot of time there because there are writing exercises that you can do that will be able to better help you identify who your characters are. And that's one of the writing exercises I'm going to have you do now that will give you a sense of how to tap into your subconscious. Um Basically, there just as there are story types like genres, uh, there are character archetypes that are character types. And I'll just mention um, two main ones. There's the protagonist or the, the hero of the story and the villain, the antagonist. I'm, I'm really oversimplifying this just to give you a sense of, you know, the different character types. There are there are certainly many others. But the the one thing that I want to say about the hero or the protagonist, this is basically it's the person who is either narrating the story or it's the it's the character that the story is about. And uh, uh, and you want to you want to create a protagonist who's not perfect. Why? Because chances are the protagonist is drawn from your own life. And you know yourself, you know, you're not perfect, you know, you have struggles and shortcomings. And so you want to bake those qualities into your protagonist to make the character more authentic. Similarly, the antagonist stands in the way of what the protagonist wants. And just as you don't want to create a protagonist who's perfect, you don't want to create an antagonist who's perfectly evil. Why? Because again, think of the villains in your own life. Chances are they presented themselves with their best foot forward. You may even have married them. So you want to you want to give your pro, your your antagonist redeeming qualities because again, that's like real life. And uh, because we're not all good or all evil, we are a mix. And so, you know, we may tend to go in one direction or another. But uh, you want your your characters to be realistic and not just cardboard cutouts. Um, and so uh, uh, and so that's those are those are important uh, archetypes of uh, of characters. Questions about that. Okay, there are different ways to get to know your characters. 
And so I'm going to give you some suggestions on writing exercises that you can do in order to better understand and identify who your characters are. One, uh, you're going to want to ask questions that will get to know them. You know, what do they want? Probably the most important question is, what does your protagonist want in this particular story? Because that question is going to propel the story forward. If you're writing a mystery, chances are the, the protagonist is going to want to know who killed, you know, the, the, the victim. Yeah, it's a detective who's trying to answer the question. So getting to know your characters is very important. And, and there are different techniques that you can do that. And, and, the, and the technique that I recommend is the interview technique. It's almost like doing a job interview for a character. And so uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you just five minutes. It's not enough time, but it will be enough time for you to get a sense of how this feels as a technique, as a writing, as a writing exercise. And so I don't know if you have a story that you're working on or not, but even if you don't, let's, let's do this. For the next five minutes, I want you to uh, interview a, a candidate for your story. And the basic question, the very first question is, who are you and why do you want to be in my book? And then listen to the voice that shows up because a voice will show up. Voices are in your subconscious of, of experiences that you've had, things that you've read, people that you know, conversations that, you've, uh, that you remember. And when you ask questions, it's it, the process stirs things up in your subconscious. So when a voice, when you ask that question, a voice may say, well, I don't want to be in your story. And so then there's the follow-up question. Why not? And then just write. And, and so we're not writing in this exercise to be clever or writerly or fancy. You're just transcribing the voice and answer and asking follow-up questions. So this will either be the longest or the shortest five minutes of your life. Any questions about the exercise before I, I uh, launch you on that? You're not writing for anybody else. You're not going to share this with anybody else. But it's just an opportunity to show you how this spooky power of the subconscious works. Okay, five minutes. Have fun with it, and then we'll gather back here in just a minute, in five minutes.
Okay, that's yep. five minutes. That's either the longest or the shortest five minutes of your life. Um, I'm interested. Uh, did a voice show up? A voice showed up, but it took it a while. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because it's an alien concept. It's not something, you know. I think once you get once you get in the rhythm of it, uh, then the voice won't shut up. <laughs> yeah, and I had to keep speaking with this voice to mm-hmm. answer the questions. Who are you and why would you want to be in my book? That's right. I think that the key here is to follow your curiosity. And in my experience in some of the other classes that I've taught, people tell me that sometimes it's like pulling teeth, you know, to get some of their characters to really open up, Um, especially if you've got a villain. You know, it's it's always a good time to ask the question, you know, why are you like this? You know, how did you get this way? Why did you do that? And uh, and often it's a it's a really good way to get to know your characters better. Anybody else uh, have uh, an experience or, or was this a surprise for you? Tiffany? Yes, <clears throat> I had a bit of a challenge. I was thinking of it from two different perspectives. One, if I were writing a fiction novel and then one, if I was writing like a memoir or mm-hmm. a nonfiction novel. And mm-hmm. I had struggled with both. I, I kind of. I would start off thinking about certain things, but the who are you question really got me. And mm-hmm. then my mind kind of wandered to other things. So, mm-hmm. okay. Well, again, uh, and, and part of it is sort of that performance anxiety. I put you on the spot and, uh, and, and usually in your own writing time, you'll have a more protracted amount of time to write and that, but, but I want you to at least become comfortable with this kind of, approach because uh, often this, even when you don't have a lot of time, the interview technique can uh, produce a lot of uh, surprising results. So, uh, you know, because this is new to you, you know, don't give up, Uh, uh, give it time and it'll, it'll work whether you're doing fiction or nonfiction, I think. Okay. Um, I want to move on. Another technique that you can use a writing exercise that you can do to get to know your characters is what i call the setting and situation exercise in other words you know create different settings for uh for a story uh you know being stuck in traffic walking the dog uh making dinner going for a walk you know normal things in your life but then impose on them on those situations situations that are unusual or unexpected so as an example let's say the setting is midnight at an atm machine and you're getting money out of it um, and the situation is something you hear a voice behind you uh, that you didn't expect and then what you do is you set your timer and write what happens next and if you do that several times, you have uh, possibly uh, it's it's the way you create chapters. It's the way you might even be able to identify, you know, the beginning of a story, because the more novels you read, the more you realize it's a normal day in the character's life until something unexpected happens. And that ignites the whole story. So these writing exercises, these settings and situations might be another way for you to either identify a story or to get to know your character better 
as you put them in these different settings and situations to see how they react. And so writing limbers you up and helps you identify possible stories going forward. Questions about that? Um, moving forward. Uh, another another uh, part, remember, we're looking at the novel writing process from 30,000 feet, all of the different moving parts. Another moving part is to be able to identify, after you've been doing these writing exercises, chances are you're getting to know your characters better, you're identifying characters, you're putting them in scenes and situations, things are happening. At some point, you may have, you, you'll be able to identify what your story is about. And it's important to be able to put it into just a couple of quick sentences. You've probably all been in this situation where someone you know, you know, says to you, I'm writing a novel. And because you're a very polite person, you go, oh, what's it about? And 25 minutes later, you're listening to them drone on about every little detail of their story. Don't you be that person. Instead, be able to boil it down to its salient details. I'm thinking one example would be I'm thinking of a jaded weatherman who has to cover Punxsutawney Phil yet again, and he's doomed to live the same day over and over again until he gets it right. That's Groundhog Day. I'm not going into all the details about the story, but the goal here, because this is chances are this is going to be another one of the paragraphs that you write in your query letter to a potential agent. You're going to entice them with what your story's about so that they want to find out more. So you're looking for ways to make it engaging and interesting. Um, questions about that? Okay. At some point, because of all these exercises that you're doing, you may have enough ideas to be able to string these things together to create the plot, to sketch the plot. Plot is basically what happens. But the main thing I want to tell you about plot to keep in mind is to think cause and effect. It goes back to what I mentioned earlier about life not turning out the way you expected. Things happen, and when they happen, we react to them. It, life is a series of cause and effect. And storytelling and, and mystery novels or any kind of novel is going to be cause and effect. Something happens. Your protagonist reacts, does something, and that causes another chain reaction to go on. Life is a chain reaction. So is storytelling, and so is plot building. And so if you can think in terms of cause and effect, I think you have the essence of how to build a plot. Uh, and, and those things will become apparent as you get to know your characters and do these writing exercises. Questions about that? I have a question. So what comes first if you write in a novel, the sketch of the plot or the characters, or do they kind of jointly come together? Um, do you write out your characters first and then sketch your plot with an eye? Or, or write your plot and then make up the characters? That's a really good question. And, and uh, it really, there are sort of two answers. One is what whatever works for you, because there's really no right or wrong answer to that question. But one of the students that took my class that I taught, oh man, it's got to be five years ago now. But what she said really stuck with me. She said, I, she said, I write political thrillers, but I get about 50 pages in and I get bored. 
And she said, what I've discovered after taking your class is that uh, what I'm doing is I'm imposing plot onto my characters. And she said, I think a better way of doing it is to have the plot emerge from the characters so that the better you have created characters, the characters themselves start making choices and decisions that impact other characters. And there you have it. The story evolves from the character. Uh, that's that's one way of thinking about it. I think that I kind of prefer that way. But on the other hand, um, you know, you may want to think of things that can happen as well for them to react to. So in the end, it becomes a symbiotic relationship between character and plot uh, because things happen that we don't cause as well. We're sort of, you know, victims of circumstance. And so you want to throw those in as well to see how your character is going to react. So I guess in the in the end, it's a little of both, David. Thank you. Yeah, that's an intriguing question. I I, I contradicted myself <laughs> by the time I answered it, because uh, there really is a lot of different ways to, to tell a story. Moving on, I want to talk about structure. Uh, and and in any writing class you take, there are going to be there are going to be different ways of looking at structure. One of the books that I read that became a template for the first two novels that I wrote, uh, the book is called The Weekend Novelist by Robert Ray. R A Y. Uh, you can get that book uh, dirt cheap on Amazon. I don't. I don't know if 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 it's in Braille or not, but it's been in print for a long time. Uh, and so it, it, my hunch is that it's it's probably accessible to you. And the basic premise of it is that if you only have a limited amount of time, like a weekend, you can still follow his very practical suggestions on how to write a novel. And one of the things that he uh, talks about in his book is structure. And what he does is he's identified six key scenes that are pivot points that that take the story and move it in new and unexpected directions. You know, what you call these scenes aren't really that important. I mean, you know, one scene is the open that happens at the beginning. There's the midpoint that happens in the middle. There's the climax that happens in the end. But there are a couple of other scenes that happen at intermediate points along the way. And if if you think of your if you if you think of your story as a line that goes from the south, if if you're looking at a map from the southeast to the northwest, it's an inclined plane, and the story itself, the stakes get higher as the story unspools. And so, jobs are at stake, lives are at stake, relationships are at stake, and so as the story goes forward, things intensify. And these key scenes happen at regular intervals along the way, and the purpose is the pacing device. Just about the time your protagonist has it all figured out, just as the reader goes, oh, I know where this is going to go, something unexpected happens. And it throws a monkey wrench into everything, and it's a plot twist. It causes the story to go in an unexpected direction. And you do that about six times. There's the open, there's a pivot point, there's the midpoint, there's another pivot point. And so I'll give you an example. <clears throat> let's say, and this goes to, uh, I think it was Judy's question. Um, 
let's say that your main plot, you've got a detective who's trying to solve the mystery. Let's say that a sub subplot, and you can have more than one, but I'm just going to keep it simple. Let's say that the subplot is that the detective has a daughter who's 16 years old. She's brilliant, but she's flunking out of high school. It's not related to the murder. It's related to the character, the detective's character. And so as the story goes forward, he is drawn into his own personal life uh, while he's, he's trying to solve the mystery. He's trying to solve the murder while he's also trying to save his daughter. And so this deepens the character of your protagonist. So as the story twists and turns toward the climax, let's say that we get about three quarters of the way into the story, and there's another crucial pivot point. Let's say at this pivot point, the detective is, has been able to identify the chief suspect in the murder. And let's say that the chief suspect is the boyfriend of his daughter. Da, da, da. Now these two seemingly unrelated story strands have just collided at this pivot point, three quarters of the way into the story, which means then that the reader, if you've done your, if you've done a good job of laying all the groundwork, the reader won't be able to turn the pages fast enough to find out what happens at the end at the climax. So structure is very important for pacing. It keeps the story interesting because there are so many unexpected things that happen at regular intervals that make the story compelling. And so you want the reader to turn the page and not to turn out the light. So questions about structure. I have a question. Um, and I mean, we're concentrating on writing one novel, our first novel, but as, as an author of a series, do you have a, is there a, a Lark Chadwick structure? That, like even that that someone can cling to, or does each one kind of evolve in a in and of itself? Does that's a very good, interesting question. I mean, at first I didn't even know I was going to write a series. I just wanted to write a book and get it published. And it turns out that I came up with a lot of other ideas. Each book is structured similarly, uh, in that there are probably six main scenes uh, that are pivotal to the story. And the way I write this, the the uh, the the uh, the series, each each book stands alone. You don't have to read it in order, and yet Lark's life continues. Um, often, you know, like for instance, Fake is my most recent novel. The one I just finished, that's going to be coming out in in uh, in next summer, takes place. I don't know about I don't know three weeks after Fake ends, uh, but it too has pivot points. That uh, that don't relate to the earlier book, but structurally they they serve the purpose of keeping the story interesting and moving forward. Thanks. Okay. Uh, moving on, I want I, I we only have an hour together, but I, I I bet we may go over a little bit, and that may be okay. But I'm going to do my best to cover the cover the ground that we're doing. Um, at some point, you're going to want to practice writing some key scenes these pivotal experiences, because in some cases, they may be very vivid to you as you are uh, uh, doing your interviews and writing your settings and situations. So it's not a bad idea to just sort of limber up and write a scene if you see it vividly in your mind's eye. Um, so that's not a bad idea to do. Um, 
staying organized is important. And my organizational structure is very simple. You know, you can have an organizational structure that's so complicated that it becomes the tail wagging the dog. And in my case, it's just simply uh, folders and folders within the folders so that I keep things straight. I keep uh, I keep my characters uh, organized. I keep the, I keep research folders, but probably the most important folder will be your draft folder because you're going to do more than one draft. And by keeping your drafts separate, you're never killing anything. Um, you know, you may want to change your structure and your organization, you know, in subsequent drafts, but just keep your draft separate so that you never really kill anything. So keep your drafts uh, in, in different folders, you know, draft one, draft two, and so on. And then your your files, your individual chapter files will, will be stacked uh, in each draft folder. Don't want to get bogged down in organization, uh, but just be aware that um, if you keep things, if you keep things organized, uh, it'll be easier to keep track of things when it comes to revising. Questions about organization? The best thing is to come up with your own system. Let's see. At this point, it's time to write your first draft because chances are you have a good sense of who your characters are. You've got settings and situations. You've sketched out a plot. You have a sense of what the key pivotal scenes are. My suggestion is write the first draft all the way through. Resist the temptation to keep looping back and making it better because the goal here is to is to solve all the problems of your story going forward. It's, it's going to be a steaming pile of clay, but you're going to if you if you write it straight through, that keeps your forward momentum going so that in the end you can you you've reached this psychological hurdle of finishing the novel. It sucks, but it's done. And that's so important because all too often people keep looping back and looping back and looping back, and it slows the forward momentum of your project. Work through everything with the understanding that the first draft is just, in a sense, a discovery draft. You're just seeing what you have, and then you go back and start to revise. So questions about that? That'll take you, could take you six to nine months to write that first draft. And then you go back and do the rewriting. And the thing I, and so the, re, the rewrite process is again, another moving part in the process of writing a novel. And so when it comes time to rewriting, if you've been writing your first, if you've written your first draft by moving constantly forward, chances are there are chapters that you haven't uh, read for six months. And so you'll see things more, you'll see, uh, you'll get a sense of them fresh because in a more objective way, because it's been so long since you've read them. And that's a good thing uh, because once you get bogged down in the details of the rewrite, you're too close to it to be objective anymore. So my suggestion in the rewrite is the very first thing is to resist the temptation to immediately dive in and fix everything because you're going to see things that you want to change, but read it as if it's a full book. Read it. You've read books before. You know what a good, what a good book is and what a bad book is. So see how this measures up to your own standards. And here's a hint. 
it's not going to measure up. It's not going to be good enough. But if if you read it in its totality, you'll get a sense of the big picture, and then you'll have a better sense of what to change when it comes time to going and, and then digging into the details. So read it through as a book first before you start going into the details of the rewrite. Questions about that? I have a question about ahead, that. When it comes to um, writing it through and then going back and reading it, do you recommend having someone else read it? And if so, who? Or that's a just... very good. Yeah, that I do, and that's okay. actually the, that's actually the very next step, um, because they call these beta readers. These are people who will take your story for a test drive, and they'll tell you what works and what doesn't, and uh, because they're they're objective. They, you know, you're too close to it now, um, and so what you want what you want to make sure is that whatever you saw in your mind's eye, whatever story you're trying to get across. Uh, the trick is, you know, do they get it? And so these are critical people who will tell you, you know, what's working for them and what's not working for them. And you need to give them the permission to be critical. These are these will probably be people who will tell you, oh, my, it's wonderful. It should be a movie. And that's great. You need to, you know, get that kind of confidence and affirmation. But you need to let them know it's OK for you to tell me what you didn't understand, what's not clear, and so on. Um, but I recommend going to those people after you've done your best to make it as good as you can make it. Because what ends up happening, if you go to these beta readers prematurely, people will start weighing in and you'll maybe doubt your own, you'll, you'll, you'll perhaps lose confidence because people will tell you what to change. And maybe their their um, advice is contradictory. So the more you've thought about it, the more you've actually made some revisions, the more sure you are about what what's what in their feedback is valuable and maybe what's not really something that you want to, you a change that you want to make. I don't know if Judy, does that help? Yes, thank you. Okay. But who are the beta readers? Are these professionals? No, um, these these will be people friends. People who are friends, chances are the best thing would be people with whom you don't share a last name or a bed because these people, <laughs> okay. because these people will either break your spirit or they'll be so complimentary. They won't be any good. These will be people who are within your sphere of influence, um, okay. maybe in a writer's group or, or something like that. Somebody who has maybe an arm's length relationship would be, would be the best ones. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I see Tiffany, did you have a question? Yes. Um right. it's kind of going back to when you're writing your first draft and you're organizing. Um when you write the chapters, should you number them or should you kind of title them as a file name so you can go back and reorganize and number them later? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um I suggest at least for filing purposes uh, I would do a numbering situation where I, you know, I have chapter, if you're doing it in, if you're filing it as a file, you know, the first chapter would be the very first thing would be one. And then I usually do give it a title, not for publication, but just so that at a glance, I know what happens in that particular chapter. Um, when it comes time to publication, um, uh, that really becomes what, whatever you choose. 
you know, you can give your chapters titles or just numbers. Often in a memoir, uh, those sometimes do have titles, but it's that's not a requirement. It really depends on what works and what doesn't. And you'll be the best judge of that or your beta readers. Does that help? Yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. A um, couple of more things, and uh, and I'll stick around for a few minutes afterward to answer any questions as well. Because again, we've we're really at the point where you're doing the writing, and actually for me, the fun part is the rewriting. The hardest part is is having that blank screen and filling it up and having things happen. Um, and then at at some point, you'll want to start considering getting an agent, and they have a lot of directories out there where agents will list, you know, they'll list themselves, what genres they represent, how to go about approaching them. Usually these, these uh, uh, literary agent directories, they have sample e uh, query letters and guidance on the publishing industry so that you can get uh, a good guidance on that. One resource that's really a good place to go, it's writersdigest.com. Uh, w W R I T E R S digest is D I G E S T all one word dot com. Tremendous resource of uh, of uh, how to books um, about the business, about marketing, about getting an agent, writing query letters. Tremendous articles that you'll be able to use. So that's a that's a one-stop shopping. They create every year they publish a directory of literary agents. They also publish a marketing guide, uh, places where you can get your short stories published and things like that. Um, one more thing, uh, two more things, and then I'll let you go. Um, one is marketing. One of the things that will happen, whether you self-publish or even if you get a deal at Random House, it's important nowadays that you will need to know how to market your work. And that need not be as daunting as it sounds, because often writers are introverts or they're shy. And you don't have to become an obnoxious used car salesman in order to be an effective marketer. All you're really doing is telling someone that you've written a book. It's telling, not selling. And there are any number of ways to let people know that you've written a book. And again, there are resources, there are books out there that will demystify the marketing process. I don't need to go into a lot of detail about that other than to let you know that it's never too soon to start becoming more familiar with how to go about marketing yourself. Social media, getting a website, um, you know, any number of ways. And it's just it's just connecting that, uh, connecting the circuit between what you've written and the reader. So marketing is something to start paying attention to. And then the final thing, this is your commencement address. So if you if you know Pomp and Circumcision or whatever the name of that, so that song is, um, you know, basically I'm talking about fear because fear is also part of the writing process. It is very frightening to hit send when it comes time to querying an agent because you're, you, you are on those pages. You've dug deeply in there. And so rejection is, and rejection, failure, not being perfect, having to change, 
all of those emotions are wrapped up in the writing process. But here's the thing. Writing and, and getting it out there and letting other people know about that, that's courageous. And the word courage, I define as fear in action. It's not the absence of fear. It's harnessing the fear. It's sort of like the guys who stormed the beaches of Normandy during World War II. You know, were they afraid? They were terrified, but they went forward anyway. And if you can understand the dynamics of what's going on in your head and in your heart, you know, why it is you're afraid, then that's a, that's a, a, a best way of being able to move forward. I mean, writer's block. That's the fear of making mistakes. And that can that can cripple you right from the right from the get-go because you're afraid of, you know, should it be first person? Should it be third person? And automatically you're paralyzed right from the beginning before you even write a word because you're afraid of failing, of making a mistake. And here's my suggestion: go forward anyway. It's okay to make mistakes. You're going to you're going to be rejected. You're going to fail, but that's okay because we learn from our mistakes and we get better and we get stronger. So fear is part of the process, but going forward anyway is courageous. And so that's and it's harnessing the fear. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I hope that's been helpful to help you demystify the process of all the moving parts that are involved. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm certainly a, a reachable by email. Uh, my name is John. I mean, my, my website is johndedakis.com. That's J-O-H-N, D as in dog, E, D as in dog, A, K-I-S as in Sam, dot com. Uh, my email is um, it's johidi at aol.com. Yes, it's AOL. Get over it. So that's J-O-H-E-D-E at aol.com. So that's it. Any questions? Yes, I have another question. Sure, Judy. When do you recommend, if ever, and why do some people write under an alias? Like the name that they use to publish is not their real their real name. Oh, that's any number of reasons, but the probably the best reason I found is there's a friend of mine who writes, I can't remember if it's mystery or I think she writes uh, romance. She's shy. And she said she writes under a pseudonym because it's like it's like an actor taking on a new persona. And she said that when she writes under a pseudonym, it's like she's a different person. And she finds that it just she writes differently. People write under a pseudonym for any number of reasons. You know, they may be working for the CIA and they don't want their, you know, they they don't want it, you know, the bad guys to track them down. <laughs> uh, you know, any number of reasons. There's no right way or wrong way. Um, I write I write mystery suspense, and I was going to change genres and write a, uh, something literary. And my agent said, "Yeah, you're known as a mystery writer, so if you're going to write literary, you're going to want to do it under a pseudonym because that's going to otherwise be too confusing to your your followers." So, uh, so I've given you a couple of possible reasons why you would write under an assumed name. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, John. Quick question. How many years did you write before you actually published? I mean, some people say they've written all their life from childhood. 
other people just published in their 70s and haven't been writing. Right. I've been writing fiction. I've been writing journalism. Some people think journalism in these days is fiction. <laughs> we won't go there. But uh, I, I mean, I was doing just the facts journalism. And so making the transition to fiction took a while because unlike what some presidents will tell you, it is a firing offense at a reputable news organization to make things up. So it took me a while to get the courage to actually embellish and 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 come up with stuff that really wasn't true. Um, it, but it took me 10 years to actually learn how to write fiction and get it published. But I made a lot of mistakes. And so uh, it need not take you that long. Uh, uh, if, if you were to start writing a novel today, um, you could you could get it done. You can write with National Novel Writing Month. If you write a thousand words, you know, uh, maybe 1500 words a day, that's maybe five pages. Um, you can write a not, you can write 50,000 words uh, in a month. Uh, it'll probably mean, need a lot of revising. If you're writing a, a, a novel, uh, that's probably going to be about 75,000 words. That's, you know, that's sort of a low end, anything lower than that. And it's a novella. Um, but 75,000, 80,000 words, that's a good ballpark. And that'll take you probably six to nine months to do. Thank you. But then, the, then there's the rewrite process. And uh, that could take another three months or so. But take the long view. Um, you know, don't be in a hurry. Because I think when people get impatient, they take shortcuts. And it shows. They, it just, it's not as thorough and as well done as it could be if you spend time with it. Tiffany, did you have a question? Yes. Um, I I want to kind of go back to the beginning um, of the process and finding an agent. Mm -hmm. um, how do you go about finding a good agent and what is a rough ballpark figure of cost to have an agent? You Well, I'm glad you asked it that way because you do not pay an agent up front. There are some agents, these are the unreputable ones, who will say, oh, I charge a reading fee. Those are, you know, that that's that's the, the profit incentive for an agent is they, the, the purpose of having an agent is the agent goes to a publisher and opens the door of the relationship because most major publishers don't accept unsolicited manuscripts. They deal with agents because it's a relationship of trust. They trust that the agent will be able to weed out all the things uh, uh, that they're not going to be interested in. Agents know the business. Agents know publishers. Agents know what will sell. Agents are the arbiter of good writing, I guess you could say, and marketability. And so when you find an agent, the agent goes to a publisher and will say, you should read this. And the publisher will read it. That doesn't mean the publisher will publish it, but you'll at least get in the door. Um, and so the profit motive is when the publisher publishes a book and the book starts to sell, then the money trickles down. The, the agent gets a percentage and you'll get some money as well. Um, so you do not pay an agent up front. Uh, the agent is just the 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 go-between between you the writer and the publisher and um and i'll and i'll say again self-publishing is also possible and there are what they call hybrid publishers where uh, um, th there are some publishers who will deal with agents but they'll also accept unsolicited manuscripts 
uh, where, well, you'll, you'll, I should say, unagented manuscripts. They generally want you to send them a query letter. And then if it's enticing enough, they'll, and your, your query letter should end with the words, may I send you the completed manuscript? And that way, if your uh, query letter is effective, they'll say, yeah, send me the whole thing. But more often than that, not, they'll say, send me the first 50 pages and a synopsis because they want to know if you know how to write and they want to know if you know how to write well enough to make them want to turn the pages. And a synopsis lets them know that you know how to structure a story. You're not trying to sell them the story. You're trying to let them know exactly what those pivotal experiences are, the pivotal scenes, and how it ends, uh, so that they'll have a good sense that you know how to tell a story, that the essence of the story, the, the storytelling elements are there as well. It's probably a longer answer than you need, but um, you know, getting an agent uh, is one approach. Self-publishing is another, and, uh, and there are any number of ways in between where you can get something published. Okay, so um, in finding an agent, how what's the best way to find a reputable agent? Uh, two ways. One is go to writers' conferences because often writers or often agents go to these writers' conferences to meet uh, and find clients. And some of these some of these writers' conferences, I'm thinking Killer Nashville, uh, places like that. There 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 are opportunities to pitch them. And uh, and you um, uh, can learn from these, you know, these these pitch sessions. Um, the other is to get a directory of literary agents, and you can get that through writersdigest.com. Uh, and these agents list themselves, how to get in touch with them, and so on. So there's, you know, so those are two avenues that you can use. Okay, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Are there any final questions? I think I see something in the chat. Oh, I added um, the website for the Writer's Digest in the chat, as well as John's website and his email address. And yeah. I have an AOL email address too, so don't worry. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I'm in good company. <laughs> yeah. I always say I have John Owen 3, which tells you how early I got mine. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, you don't look as old as you probably are. <laughs> So, well, very good. Are there any other final questions? Well, thank you all for coming tonight. And and thank you. And let me just say as well, yeah, go thank ahead. you, John. Thank you, John and Ashley and uh, and everybody. I appreciate your questions. And I, I hope I've helped. Once you start doing it, it's fun. And I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be with you tonight. Thank you. One last question about ghostwriting. Sure. If someone has a story in their mind, um, how cost prohibitive is ghostwriting and how does one go about finding a ghostwriter? Well, ghostwriting is something that I do, but it's very time consuming. And because it's time consuming, time is money. So it can be prohibitively expensive. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, tens of thousands of dollars because of mm -hmm. the amount of time that's involved and right. often, often I encourage I'm a writing coach and so often I encourage I teach people how to do it because no one knows your story better than you and uh, and so the there's a temptation to hire a ghostwriter when really 
um, you can probably do it yourself if someone can help you, you know, deconstruct. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. This is very informative. Thank you. Amber, did I see you have your hand up? Hi. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. Hi. Yes. Um, I just also wanted to know that, um, so I heard that you're a writing coach. Yes, ma'am. Also, do you do engagements? Like, um, I'm a, um, in my own right, a president of a chapter in Maryland for the NFB, National Federation of the Blind. I was wondering, do you do speaking engagements, like, um, via, um, teleconference as well? Yes, ma'am. Definitely. This is one of them. And, uh, and so I, I, I do that a lot. Excellent. So I just reach out and maybe I could like put you on a schedule if possible. Absolutely. Just uh, uh, send me an email and we'll work out the details. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Very good. Just one final uh, comment that this, uh, this session has been recorded and will appear on our podcast channel, the Maryland State Library Agency's podcast channel that you can find wherever you get your podcasts, as they say. On that note, just want to say good night, everyone, and thank you again for coming. And thank you, John, for a very informative session. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Maryland State Library Agency. For links to additional resources provided by today's presenter, please visit the show notes. For more information on MSLA or the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, visit MarylandLibraries.org.